Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for this Thursday. It's the 20th day of October. I'm Julie Hersey with these stories. When people think of libraries, they think about books usually, but in Petersburg, the public library has more options. It's running a beginning guitar class and kids can check out guitars just like books. Rachel Cassandra has this story. All right, you ready? No, we So, I want you to remember the, um, the uh, chord is you're just gonna, if you, the cheater A is to just smash your finger down on that second fret. That's teacher Dan Sullivan, and this is their second guitar class. The kids are working on one of the four Halloween songs they'll be learning over a month's time. Sullivan says that's a pretty ambitious curriculum. So the expectation really isn't that they walk out of here mastering four songs, but they get an introduction to the guitar, um, pick up a few rhythm tricks. Some of them will practice hard and they'll really take off, and others will, will uh, they'll get a little bit and maybe stick with it. The class is meant to be a quick intro and a way for kids to take advantage of the library's instruments. Kids can borrow one of the eight guitars to practice. Here's Kari Peterson, the library program coordinator. Our thinking behind it was it's great for parents and kids to um, get an introduction to an instrument because instruments and playing instruments is, is quite an investment. And to be able to have your kid have four lessons and see if that's something that they're really actually interested in and want to pursue, I think you can get a good handle on that. It also helps families who don't have the resources to buy an instrument. Kids can hang on to those guitars for six weeks, and if no one else is waiting for one, they can renew. Sullivan says the size of these guitars are easier for kids to handle. They're really nice kid, kid guitars. They're classical, nylon string. Easy on the fingers, even though they all complained today about <laughs> how much pain they were in. Instruments can have a steep learning curve, so frustration can be a roadblock in these early days. Sullivan knows from experience. He first picked up a guitar around fifth grade. Let's see, I think I learned a Simon and Garfunkel song and had a really horrible guitar that was really, really hurt, seriously hurt my hands. So I gave it up for a while and then I came back at it. Something unmentionable happened to that first guitar, but Sullivan went back to playing as an older teenager. For the same reasons, he's created a beginner guitar curriculum that's easy to jump into. It emphasizes rhythm over playing the right chords. You saw us doing a lot of drumming on the guitar to keep the beat. That way, if you're not really quick on changing chords, you can still participate in the song. And it seems to me like that's the fun part, is when you're in a group, when you're playing along with other people, that they get really excited. The kids in the class have a mix of experience. Beatrice Gallardo says she's brand new. I just started when this class started. When this class started, so what do you think? It's fun. I like it. And I think it helps me learn. And Silas Stanton Gregor played for a couple months before this class. I think it's a great opportunity for kids to learn to play guitar and have fun learning different chords, different fun songs. All the kids in the class are using the library's guitars. And Dan says these kid-sized guitars are great for beginner adults, too. If you're willing to give it a little bit of an effort, it's, it's never too late. You can always pick it up. Sullivan's class will meet for two more weeks at the library. 
After that, Sullivan and Peterson hope to host another intro class around the beginning of the year. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Anyone can check out instruments from the Petersburg Public Library. They have guitars and ukuleles, and the guitars were originally gifted to the middle school through a music teaching program called Little Kids Rock. Now that program is called Music Will. Students in the Prince of Wales Island community of Whale Pass are joining a last-ditch effort to save a local hillside from a nearly 300-acre clear-cut. And as Reagan Miller reports, state forestry officials say they've already addressed the students' concerns. The letter wasn't an assignment, but Whale Pass School's head teacher Anthony Cook, says it's an issue close to home for even the town's youngest residents. The proposed sale would take out 292 acres of mixed-species old growth lining the hill above the town of 100. Cook says it could affect the kids' hunting prospects, their jobs at the town's lodge, or even their homes, just 100 feet away from the clear-cut boundary. It's either them directly or their grandparents. It's a hot topic in Whale Pass. Residents have voiced strong opposition to the sale boundary, which falls just 100 feet behind many property lines. But there are also bigger fears exposing homes to landslides, winds, or floods, and damaging subsistence habitats for deer and fish. Big logging trucks on Whale Pass's narrow, sharp roads also have been highlighted as a concern. The state's best interest finding didn't find a cause for concern. The city of Whale Pass sent an official letter of opposition to Governor Mike Dunleavy last month. The city council also approved a resolution opposing the sale, drafted by the homeowners group The Friends of Whale Pass. The Prince of Wales Community Advisory Council also drafted a statement against the idea. Cook isn't surprised his students wanted to join the chorus opposing the sale. Well, they've been following this for the last three years since it started, so they're quite informed about it. So this wasn't something new. At the end of their letter, the students ask Helge Ing, the state forester, to, as they put it, stand by our governor's slogan of people first instead of corporate profit. The comment period ended on Monday. The students haven't heard anything from the governor's office or the state's forestry division yet, but Cook thinks it's still too early to tell. I'd be more interested in what the governor's office replies to it than I really don't expect a reply from the state forester. So, Greg Staunton, the area forester for the Division of Forestry, says he thinks state forester Helge Ing has read the kids' letter. Staunton read it last week. He says he thinks the kids' issues have been addressed. You know, the points that were brought up in the letter um, have been dealt with in our um, proposed um, action out there, our forest land use plan, and also in our best interest finding. As far as concerns about destroying deer habitat, Staunton says there's plans to leave quarters around the creek estuary and wintering grounds for the animals. He also says that his division has responded to the backlash about the clear-cut boundaries that come close to properties. When drawing up the timber sales, Daunton says the Division of Forestry had to make the sale big enough to be worth the cost of roads and other infrastructure needed to access the old growth stand. We were trying to basically look at what would make the most sense for the amount of capital that we're going to have to put into accessing that site. So what that means is we were trying to recover the most timber for what we, that we could in that area while respecting the other resources that are out there. Staunton says that in some areas that will mean cutting near property lines, but he says the state has left some buffers around some properties. We, we have put in, in some areas, several hundred feet of uh, retained timber along there based on the terrain and other things like streams that we needed to protect. Um, so 
you know, I, I don't feel that we have ignored their issue, their their request in any manner. We may not have accommodated them to the to their satisfaction, though. Since the comment period closed on Monday, the next step for Staunton is to wade through the comments and start sorting through them. No matter the outcome, Cook says writing the letter will be a lesson to the students. Well, it'll be an object lesson for the students in how their concerns are addressed by the governor and the state forestry division. A spokesperson for Dunleavy referred questions to the state's Department of Natural Resources. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. Senator Lisa Murkowski earlier this month joined a roster of people that have received the William Paul Sr. Award. The honor was presented by the board and staff of Sitka's urban native corporation, Shiatica, in recognition of Senator Murkowski's advocacy, quote, for the betterment of Alaska Natives and Alaska Native subsistence rights. The award also mentions a a senator's assistance with a Cube Cove transaction, a controversial deal that saw a heavily logged native land selection return to the federal government to become protected wilderness. Senator Lisa Murkowski is only the 22nd person to receive the William Paul Sr. Award. It's not given on any specific cycle, but only when Shiatica has found a worthy candidate. William Paul himself was the first Alaska Native attorney In 1922, when his mother, Tilly Paul, attempted to cast a ballot in Wrangell, she was denied on the grounds of falsely swearing to be a citizen. The case went to trial, and the court ruled in favor of Native voters. Two years later, Congress passed the Indian Citizenship Act, making all Indians citizens of the United States. Markowski reflected on Paul's legacy when she accepted the award during a lunchtime gathering in the Shiatica boardroom, A few hours later, speaking to reporters following her remarks to the Alaska Travel Industry Association conference in Sitka, it was still on her mind. Some years ago, back in 2016, the Shiatica board had voted to recognize me with the William Paul Sr. Award for um, contributions for leadership when it comes to civil rights um, and other areas of, of promoting democracy. 2016 was the year that Senator Murkowski helped Shiatica return to the federal government over 4,000 acres of its selected lands at Cube Cove on Admiralty Island. The Forest Service paid $4 million for the land, but some shareholders were angered enough to call for the resignation of Shiatica's then-CEO, Ken Cameron. Ultimately, the corporation sold back a total of 23,000 acres of timberlands at Cube Cove, for just over $18 million. The Forest Service announced plans to add Cube Cove to the Kootenai Wilderness, ending any future prospect of its being logged again. For Senator Murkowski, this was a complicated issue. She has spent her legislative career trying to remove lands from the federal inventory, not bring them back. Cube Cove seemed to cut against the grain of her principles, but it also touched on her other priorities. My responsibility, I think, as a member of the Alaska delegation is to, uh, to be working with, uh, with Alaskans, working with the constituents to achieve their initiatives that they have put in front of us. And, and you're right, Cube Cove was a little bit of a reversal of what we typically try to do, which is take lands out of federal estate and put it into private hands. Um, But I think there was a recognition that with the timber conveyances that were made at the time, this was a matter that 
needed to be resolved. That resolution, as understood by shareholders at the time, included shoring up Shiatica's balance sheet by selling lands that could not be logged again for decades, and now won't be logged again ever. This past June, the Forest Service released an 11-page preliminary proposal to speed up the restoration of Cube Cove by completing the decommissioning of 214 miles of logging roads and repairing 153 miles of streams damaged during logging operations. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. State health officials are encouraging Alaskans to get their bivalent boosters as case numbers and hospitalizations increase in Europe. At a public health presentation on Wednesday, state epidemiologist Dr. Joe McLaughlin said an Omicron wave in Germany is showing the importance of getting boosters. One of the challenges that Germany is facing is that they have really low vaccination coverage rates, especially with the booster. They're probably the lowest of all the Western European countries. And so that's one of the things that they're attributing to the high rates of infection and hospitalization. Here in Alaska, McLaughlin says COVID hospitalization numbers are decreasing, but hospital utilization, the percentage of hospital beds being used, has steadily increased in Alaska since the start of the pandemic. That could be due to a number of factors like staff shortages, he said, but it's an important sign to watch as flu season begins. Bivalent COVID boosters have been available to adults for more than a month. The CDC authorized the boosters for children as young as five last week. State physician Dr. Lisa Rabinowitz says uptake for the new booster and the flu shot has been slow. The flu vaccine um, was a little delayed in shipping out nationally. So um, I think due to that, we've had a little slower uptake, but I'm excited to see some traction on this as we move into the fall. She says it is safe to get the flu shot and the COVID booster at the same time. And if you've had COVID recently, you'll have adequate protection against the virus for about three months. But Rubinowitz says it's also safe to get the booster as soon as your symptoms have gone away. Especially for those individuals that know they're going to be traveling or around people that are at higher risk for COVID, maybe it makes sense to get um, vaccinated sooner than waiting that three months. But either is a viable option. Alaskans can learn more about getting boosters online at vaccines.gov or by contacting their primary care provider or local public health clinic. And there's also a state COVID helpline, 907-646-3322. Our local public health center is located on the lower level of Petersburg Medical Center off the Fram Street entrance to the parking lot. They have the new COVID booster for ages 5 to 11, plus boosters for teens and adults. And you can call them for more information or an appointment at 907-772-4611.